0: Uh, This series, the premise of this series is essentially this, that God has a vision for your life, that God actually has a vision for your life. There's things that God wants to do in your life. There's ways that God wants to bring change into your life. There's things and ways that God wants to build you into, that when God looks at your life, he doesn't just say, done, done. But he wants to build it into something better. He wants to build it into something stronger. He wants to build it into something more beautiful than it is now. And here is the reality. Each of us right now, whether we know this or not, whether we are intentional about it or not, each of us is building a life. Each of us is doing things every day, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, our resources, our relationships, the decisions we make, the choices we make. Each of us is building a life and we can build God's vision for our life or we can miss it. That is what the reality is. We can build towards what God has for us and there are building blocks There are certain things that we need. If we want to build God's vision for our life, there are building blocks that we need to put in place that lead towards experiencing what God wants to build in your marriage, what God wants to build in your family and in your career and in your emotions and in your faith and in all the different areas. There's building blocks that we need to put in place. And the little that we do today, I've said this many different times and I'll keep saying it because I want it to just kind of sink in. The little that we do today will lead to where we are five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. What we build today is where you will end up. And we can build God's vision for our life or we can build other things for our life. Now, if you're a Christian and some of you in this room may not be Christians, you're just kind of exploring faith and we're grateful to have you. But if you're a Christian, most Christians know that when you think about building God's vision for your life, most Christians know that church has something to do with that. Uh, Most Christians know that if we want to build God's vision, if we we want kind of a close relationship with God and faith, and we know that church has something to do with that, but often we're confused actually about how it fits in. I don't know if you do puzzles at all. I, I never really even look at puzzles except for the holidays when people are bored and have eaten too much food and they're sitting around like, what should we do? All of a sudden people are like, I don't know, a puzzle. I don't know why that's what pops into people's heads, uh, at least in my extended family. And I hate puzzles. I think they're dumb because uh, partially because you build them. And then when you're done, you're like, wow, we spent all this time. All right, crumple it up and throw it in the box. Like, no, frame it or something, you know. But when you're building a puzzle, you've got certain pieces that's like obvious where they go. Certain pieces that you put and you're like, this goes here, this goes here, this goes here. Then there's some pieces you're like, I know this is a part of the, the, the puzzle, but I don't exactly know yet how it fits in. I don't know exactly where it goes. I know that this matters. I know it's needed. I know I can't have a complete picture without it, but I don't know yet exactly where it goes. And I think often that's actually how it is with church. We know it's an important part of our faith. We know that it's something that God desires, but we don't exactly know how it fits in. And If we don't know how it fits in, then we will miss what God wants to build in your life. If you don't know exactly how it fits in, then you may neglect actually building it in the right way and not actually get to experience what God's full vision is for you. If you don't know what church is or you don't know what the purpose of it is or you don't know how God relates to the church or what your role in the church is, we'll miss a fundamental piece of how God actually wants to build in your life. And and here's what's true, that I I think, honestly, I I don't think a lot of us believe this, but here's what is true. Much, much more than you think of what God's plan is for building his vision into your life, much, much more than we think actually has to do with the church. That God has a vision, he's trying to build things in your life, and a lot of it, actually has to do with the church. So we're gonna to explore together what this means, what the church is and what its role is and what its purpose is. And, and there's whole you know, seminary classes that could be taught on this, but today will give us a good picture of what God wants to build and how we can use the church as a part of that. So let's read this next part in Ephesians together. It says, he exercised this power... And that's referring to what we looked at last week of God's power. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him, this is about Jesus, as head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So as we explore this topic, we're just going to start with this question. very basic question, but what is the church? What comes to your mind, don't call it out or anything, uh, but what comes to your mind as you think about church? Probably for a lot of people, it's a building, not for us. You're like, yeah, I've never been to a church with boats in it before. Yes, well... (laughs) We're just going back way old school. Jesus used to preach on boats and it used to, so we're trying to kind of bring it back. But maybe buildings come to your mind. Maybe what comes to your mind is the organization. Sometimes people use the word church as in the organization, like, oh, the church, sometimes negatively, the church has done a lot of evil in the world or the church has hurt me or the church is supposed to do this and be for good or the church, sometimes kind of organizationally, people use it. Sometimes when we think of the word church, we think of the activities that happened in the church. And it can be used as an adjective like church music or church programs or church choirs or church um, ministries and just different things that we kind of think of the different activities and programs that the church has. Sometimes we use it in a a way that just kind of means like a vaguely spiritual or positive or good feeling. So you say, there's even songs that are not Christian songs that will say things like, uh, you, like as in um, a person, a romantic relationship, you are my church. Like, what does that mean, you know? It means you, I have good feelings about. You, I am devoted to. You, I, I worship. Or you is where I experience good in life. Or sometimes people, especially in Denver, will say something like, as they're in the mountains, this is my church. The mountains are my church. Or sometimes people even use the phrase um, that they'll say, like, uh, what was that? I can't remember that guy's name, but it was another song. And he's he saying, you know, uh, take me to church, which was saying just I, I want kind of some good, emotional, positive feelings and experiences. So sometimes it's used in that way, positively, negatively. A lot of times that's how we think of church, buildings, programs, organization, maybe just kind of general positive feelings. But the word "church," this word, in the Greek, actually the word is "ekklesia," and what it means is very simple. It means assembly or gathering, and it was used in a religious context, and it was also used in a non-religious context. You could say that these people were the ekklesia of you know a sporting event or something like that. It means, and the New Testament authors grabbed that word and then began to use it, and Jesus used it himself to talk about his people, but it means literally assembly, people gathering together. Most of the time, it's used in the context of a local church, meaning a specific assembly or a specific gathering of people. So in the New Testament, often it'll say to the church or to the assembly, to the gathering in Colossae, which is a city or in Ephesus, or in Philippi, or in whatever city, in Rome, to the church, to the people gathered, assembled together in this or that particular city. That's what the word church means. It means assembly, the gathering together. That's, that's where actually the word congregation is also an appropriate word because it's, we are congregated together. We're assembled, gathered together, God's people, mainly in a specific location. Now, even just think about how that definition, which is the definition, that's what the word is. We don't get to make up what we want words to mean. If you think about just that definition of church, counters much of how we often think about and approach faith. How we often even think about and approach church. We are used to, all of us are, we're used to kind of curating our experiences in life, right? Almost nobody anymore listens, and I know some of you are purists, and so you'll say, I do, but almost no one listens to a full album anymore, right? When I was a kid, I know I'm getting older, so I, you know, I used to walk 10 miles in the snow there and back. No, not really, but when I was a kid, you'd buy a CD or even a tape, and you'd buy that, and you'd listen to the whole thing. Almost nobody does that anymore. Right? You build a playlist on Spotify and you are, or on whatever you use. You build a playlist of your favorites and the music that you want to listen to. So you don't have to listen to track eight that was when the artist was like, all right, for the people that really like this, let me just do something cool and weird. You, you don't have to listen to that dumb song. You get to pick exactly what you want to do. You get to curate your music. You get to curate everything. You get to curate your shows. You don't have to just be, I only get to watch what's on at eight o'clock at night. I only, when I was a kid, again, when everything's, I'm a kid tonight. So I, but when I, when I was a kid, with TGIF, that was the, what we would watch. And it was Boy Meets World and Family Matters and all these shows. And we didn't get to choose. That's what was there. And now there's a billion, shows that you can choose from on everyone's network and you don't even own the passwords to them right you can just listen watch whatever you want across the board on every network imaginable you get to curate your media experiences your music experiences you get to curate your learning we we curate our values a lot of us especially if you're kind of younger A lot of people don't want to identify even with certain specific sets of values, like politically speaking, you don't want to say I'm Republican or I'm a Democrat. You want to just say, well, you know, I like this and I like this from here and I like this from here and I like this from here. We curate everything. We live in a very curated age where our education, our music, our media, all of it, we choose what we want. Now that same mentality often gets carried into faith. That same mentality gets often carried into how we think about our relationship with God, our relationship with God's people, church in general. So we can podcast whoever we want to podcast. We can listen to the best teaching. Like, I, I don't think I suck as a preacher, but there's better preachers in the world than me. And we can listen to anyone that we want all across the world. We can listen to any music that's Christian and say, this really, I, I really enjoy this kind of music. Sometimes I'm really into hymns. Sometimes I really want these big anthems. Sometimes I just want instrumental music that reminds me of kind of both those things. And we can, we can curate our music. We can curate our teaching. We can curate our spiritual advice. We ask friends, this friend, uh, that maybe we know will agree with us, about this certain thing. And we ask this friend about this certain thing. Hey, what do you think about this? We may get a counselor or a therapist to help us with our marriage or to help us with uh, our emotional problems that we're experiencing. And we curate all the different spiritual components of our life as well, whether that's music, blogs, friends. Even church can be like that. Even the way, like I don't know exactly everybody in here, when you come in here, what this is to you. But it can even be a part of Your curated spiritual experience, and this is one element of it. I've even talked to people that would say something like, I really like the the teaching at True Life. I really like the community at this church. I really like the music at this church. Oh, they have a great ministry at this church. And kind of spread out their curated spiritual experience. But the definition of the word church means assembly. It means the gathering together of God's people, which means none of those things are church. You can have great... I'm not saying don't listen to great teaching online or great music online, or none of, none of, but none of those things are church, which even right now, and no offense to anyone that's watching right now, we, we stream our services online that kind of got kicked off during COVID and people were either forced to be at home or needed to be at home, but watching online is not church. It's the opposite of what the word actually means. The word means assembly. It means we are gathered together. None of those things are actually church. God designed church to be a specific gathering of people because it's more than all of those different things. It's a collection of God's people in one place, gathered together, receiving God's word Receiving the ordinances, communion, baptism, being able to be a community together, giving and receiving to one another, singing together, hearing each other's voices, helping proclaim together. Oh. Having curtains fall on us together. I don't know what happened there. Well, we have people that will take care of that. There we go. See, can't do that online. Look. That would never happen online. And if it would, you should get a new house, right? Oh, my roof fell on me. God designed a specific gathering with rhythms of God's people together, gathering together, all the different pieces of what church is. And to neglect that is to neglect a lot of what God actually wants to do in your life. To neglect, even if we say, I really like teaching, music, etc. over here, and we think we're kind of being spiritually fed from these different components in our life, that's fine. That may be good, but you will actually miss out. If God says, a big part of what I'm doing in your life is the church, you'll miss out without the assembly, without the gathering of God's people together, so here, let me, let me say it this way. Here's one last way I want to say it. Try to, I still see a lot of people looking over there. It'll be okay. If you want to move up a row, maybe actually we just kind of, we just did that so more people sit in the front row. So that way you're like, oh, the back row's dangerous. So you got to come up a row. <laughs> this is the way we have to do crowd control, okay? So, whoops, the curtain fell on the back row. <clears throat> okay, so let me say it this way. There is a you that exists loosely connected to the church and spiritual things. And there's a you that exists deeply connected to the assembly gathering of God's people. There are two different versions of your life that are possible. And I'm I'm telling you this from personal experience, from the Bible, and from seeing it play out in people's lives. There is a you that will exist where this and church and, and, and you know, different things is kind of just a curated spiritual experience. And there's a version of you in your life that will exist when you say, God designed the church, its rhythms, pastors, teaching, the ordinances, the rhythms, the gatherings, all of it for me. And pushing into that. There's two different versions of you. And a lot of what God wants to do in your life will be stagnant if you don't actually understand what the church is. So that's one thing that helps us in understanding what the church is. That's kind of the technical definition of the church. But there's also images or metaphors that are used throughout the Bible to help us understand what the church is. And there's a lot of different ones that we could look at, but Paul mentions this one here that's a very kind of famous one that maybe you've heard the church, which is his body. The church being the body of Christ. And that image of a body helps us to see a couple different things about what the church is. Think about again what our tendency often is. Our tendency is to be independent, right? You're all Americans. We're independent, we are self reliant. We are often private kind of people in some ways. We'll post things on social media, but we also don't really like people kind of having a lot of access to our lives. We think about things in very personal terms. This is my personal relationship with Jesus. We we are very independent, self-sufficient, self-reliant kinds of people. In fact, I don't have the exact statistics up here. I've shown them to you at different times before, but many Christians would even say, I don't need, in fact, the majority of Christians would say, I don't need other Christians for my faith. It's something I can do by myself. And yet, think about the image of the body. Have you ever seen a body part by itself? I don't know what kind of context you would have done that in. But if you've ever, if maybe if you're in the medical field, you have seen a body part by itself. I showed my kids a clip from a movie where a guy was cutting off his fingers and throwing them at this other guy, because I'm a good father. And uh, it wasn't like a horror movie. It was, uh, it was a really good movie. You should watch it. But, um, but it's gross. Like a finger by itself is gross, right? But no one's looking at my hand right now thinking, that's nasty. Maybe you are. I don't, then I'm offended, I guess. But, but a finger by itself is gross. A a intestines by the, you're looking at my intestines right now. But if I pulled them out, that would be gross, right? Body parts by themselves, disconnected, are gross. I don't know, I mean, if you've ever been to the stock shows in Denver right now, it's really cool if you've never been to it. Uh, But there's pigs there, right? And unless you're, I don't know, freaked out by a pig, a lot of times you look at a pig and go, that's a cool animal. But I don't know if you've ever been to the grocery store and if you've ever bought pig's feet. But every time I look at the pig's feet in a grocery store, I'm like, that's gross. Just a pig foot? I, and it's nasty. Now, some of you might think that's delicious and tastes good, and maybe it does. And if you know how to make it well, then go ahead and serve it to me And I'll, I'll at, the, at the community group kickoff. It's a potluck. Somebody can bring pig's feet. We'll see how it goes. So body parts by themselves are gross, okay, because they're disconnected. And the image of a body says, you are a body part. You are something. And the Bible talks about this in other places. You may be the arm, you may be the foot, you may be the leg. Some of you may be another body part. You, there's all sorts of things that you might be. And together, we are connected. And what the body metaphor implies is, by yourself, you are gross, gross. By yourself, you're not, actually, you're not actually fulfilling and functioning the way you're designed to be. The body metaphor tells us that you are absolutely needed to the people around you. You're not meant to function by yourself. The other people in this room need you. And you need them and you might not know all the ways and all, all that that plays out and what that means today and what that means a year from now but what the body metaphor means is by ourselves which is oftentimes how we want to be independent doing things the way we want to do them no one kind of no, not too much authority or any kind of accountability or we just kind of want to operate in free flow but body means deep connection is actually where you will thrive where you will be not gross, but most beautiful. That others need you and you need others. That's what the body metaphor means. It's why as a church, membership, we have a, we'll have a membership class coming up later in February. That's, that's where that language of member comes from, a member of the body. It's why it's a very important thing to us because it means you are deeply connected to the body. And God's plan for you is not just a personal relationship with him. It is a family or a body that you are deeply connected to. The body metaphor also shows us God's or Jesus' closeness to us. Because we are, we are a body, but we are his body. And think about what that means when he is saying, you are my body. The church, this church is my body. Body, when Jesus says that, that means a very close identification. When the Apostle Paul, before he he became a Christian, he was persecuting Christians. He was trying to get them murdered and send them to jail. And Jesus appears to him, and Jesus says to him, Saul, that was his name at that point, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was gone, he had already ascended to heaven. But as Saul is persecuting the church, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because there's such a close identification with the church. It's his body. There's no other other thing that Jesus says that about. There's a lot of good organizations in the world. There's a lot of good things that you could do. But none of them does Jesus say, that is my body. All good work being done in the world is my body. He doesn't say that. All non-profits in the world are my body. He doesn't say that. He says, the church, the assembly, the gathering of my people, that is my body. Which means he deeply identifies with it. He deeply cares about it. If you have any physical problems, if you have back pain, or if you've got uh, stomach issues, or some sort of pain, you don't just say, yeah, my stomach has a problem. I'm fine, but my stomach has a big problem. Yeah, my, the, the, the back on this thing is really having issues. I'm glad I'm okay. No, you say that my back is me and I am therefore deeply connected to it. I care what's going on with it. I care what's happening to it. I want to care for it. I want to make sure it's healthy. I wanna make sure it's good because it is me. It's my body. So the church is the assembly, the gathering of God's people. And metaphorically, a lot of different things that the Bible uses, one of them is the body which means close, deep connection and belonging to one another and close, deep connection and belonging to Jesus, that he would say, you are mine, deeply connected to me. So what is the church? This is what it is. And what that means is, if this is true, if it's this thing that God has designed for you to fully experience all that a church is, and if it's a body That means that a lot of the power, a lot of the closeness, a lot of the transformation that you want to experience in your life won't happen apart from deeply being connected here and from gathering here. That's what the church is. Now, the next question is, why is it here? That is what it is. That's the definition. But why is the church here? What's it for? What's the purpose? What's the reason? And in this passage, there's a progression that he goes through, talking about all building up to the church, talking about the power that Jesus has, him raising from the dead, him being seated in the heavens. He's above every authority. All authorities are subjected to him. And it's all leading to him and his leadership in the church, that everything was leading to him leading the church. Why? And to answer that, we have to ask, well, why was his plan, why was all the things he was doing leading to Jesus being head over the church? Well, here's a question that will help us get to that. What is God's plan just in the world? What is God's plan? What is God doing? What is, when God looks at the world and when God looks at the scope of human history, what is God doing? And there's a lot of verses that we could point to that can show this. But this thing that he says right here actually just helps get at it. Where he says, talking about Jesus, talking about God, the one who fills all things in every way. See, what God's intention is in the world is to fill the world with his glory some of the prophets say things like that God wants to fill the world with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. So if, I don't know if you ever thought about waters covering sea, but there's no part of the sea that's not covered by water. The waters cover the sea, and it says that God wants to fill the world with the knowledge of his glory. And even that word glory is such a spiritual word that often we don't know what it means, but it, what glory means, it actually means weightiness, And what it means is we see the total kind of summation of God's goodness. That's what his glory is. It's the summation of all of God's goodness that you see and go, wow. And what God wants to do is to fill the world. He wants to fill all things in every way. He wants to fill every corner of the world. He wants to literally have everything, every relationship, every city, every job, every place, every country. He wants to fill all things in every way with who he is. Think about how amazing that actually would be if your life was totally full of everything that God is. All of his goodness, all of his grace, all of his compassion, all of his power, all of his strength, all of his forgiveness, filling your marriage, filling your family filling your place of work, filling Arvada and Denver and Thornton and Westminster and all the different areas. What what if God filled all those areas with who he is? Darkness going away, light, beauty, joy, being filled in those places. That is what God's plan is in the world. It's him filling the world with everything that he is. That's a great heart, by the way, when you think about what God's desire is. It isn't just a bunch of obedient people, though he wants that. It isn't just a a bunch of people that don't do the wrong thing. It's rather what God wants to do is fill every area with who he is. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever met somebody like this, but sometimes people will say this about someone, that when they enter into a room, oh, the room changes. They bring light into that room, or oh, just their presence when, and maybe it's just a particular friend. Maybe you don't even think about it as a room. But, oh, when I'm around them, they just kind of lift my spirits. They bring in a certain joy when I'm around them. They bring in a sense of peace or a sense of comfort or a sense of wisdom. Just them kind of entering in changes the environment or the room or the, the you know, what, so maybe you even have a gathering of friends, and it's like, it's okay, until that one friend gets there, then finally, oh, people are laughing, and oh, okay, finally, okay, why are you here so late? And, you know, maybe have a friend like that. This is what it is talking about. God's presence coming in. If that can be true about an individual with certain attributes, humor, joy, peace, wisdom, God, and all that he is coming into an area, coming into our life, our cities, filling it. That's what God's plan is. It's a beautiful thing. But how does he do that? It says that he wants to fill all things in every way, but the way that he does that is the church. The church, which is his body, the the church is the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. The church is the fullness of the one who wants to, whose plan is to fill all things in every way. The church is, when it is being what it is supposed to be, and the rest of the book of Ephesians talks about this, calling us to grow into, mature into the fullness of who he is individually and as an entity. The church is the fullness of the one. So it is the, God's plan is to fill everything in all ways, to bring his presence into all areas. And the way that he does that, and the reason that this was all progressing to Jesus leading the church is because the church, his intention is for the church to be the fullness of Him who fills all things in every way. See, that is what the purpose of the church is. We are to be the fullness of who Jesus is. That's what, again, just think about the language of body. We are to be, sometimes people use this language, the hands and feet of Jesus. We could go further than that. We are to be the, the mouth of Jesus, and we are to be the heart of Jesus, and we are, we are to be the fullness. Of who he is, bringing his word into every area, bringing his work into every area. We are to be the fullness of who he is. That is what the purpose, that is what the calling of the church is to make Jesus visible, to bring that fullness. That's why the calling of the church, the calling of the church as an organization is to make disciples of Jesus. Because when disciples are made that fully express as themselves, following, obeying, living for, living like Jesus, and then are deeply connected to a body functioning in that way together, we together bring the fullness of him to every place, to every city, to every relationship. That's what the purpose of the church is. See, listen, the church is a community, but it's not just a community. The church is a family, but it's not just a family. The church has a mission, and our mission is to bring God's fullness into every area. That is what God's plan is, and it's what our purpose is. We have a mission together, which means this. I don't know how you kind of feel, and sometimes we kind of go in waves of this, where you might be thinking about what's the purpose of my life or what's the meaning of my life or, or we just want to have a meaningful life. We want to feel kind of a part of something bigger than ourselves. We, we don't just kind of want to humdrum, go through life and check the box. We, we want to be a part of something bigger. And what Paul is saying and what the Bible teaches is that part of what that bigness is, part of what that something more is, is actually not just you and God's individual plan for your life, but that he wants you to be connected to the purposes that he has for his church. And that being connected to that allows you to be a part of his plan, to bring his fullness into every area, into every relationship, into every need. This is what the purpose of the church is. This is what God gives to you. This is part of why I'm telling you that so much of what God wants to do in your life, you won't be able to experience by yourself with a curated spiritual experience. To build God's vision for your life, he's saying, I give belonging here, I give closeness here, I give purpose and meaning here, I give the the invitation to be a part of something bigger here, I give so much here in my assembly in my body. And then the final question I want us to look at is this How does Jesus relate to the church? Because so far we've seen the church is important. The church is important, it matters. It's a big piece of what God is doing. And the, we, we've seen the purpose of what the church is, the calling that God gives to it. But how does Jesus relate to it? How does Jesus relate? to the church because it's a big calling and it matters. How how does he relate? And in every age since the church was born, in every age, the church will face difficulty. The The church will face challenges. The church will face opposition and thus the church will be afraid or at least tempted towards fear, tempted towards inactivity. Tempted towards doubt, tempted towards anger and frustration, tempted towards hiding and isolation. In every age, the church has always faced opposition, always faced difficulty. And so there are temptations to various things that we have to deal with that. I don't know what that might be even in your life that you experience as a Christian, where you experience some of those things, where you experience fear or the tendency to retreat or just give in. Jesus said that the church would always face persecution, always face trouble. Paul says here that there are many different powers in this world. And he's going to say that Jesus is above them. We're going to look at that in just a second. But even just mentioning this to say every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given, really, this is mainly referring to the demonic realm. It's mainly referring to spiritual authorities, powers. He'll use the same language in other parts in the book of Ephesians and specifically tie it to that but he is saying there, this exists. There is powers and authorities and rulers. There are forces in this world that exists that are using the language of power and dominion and rule. And they, they actually have power, meaning they're actually intimidating. There actually is stuff that they do and can do. And so when we face opposition or when we are tempted towards fear or tempted to think we're being opposed or there might be some difficulty, you're right. That exists. It's real in the world. And it manifests in all sorts of different ways, not just kind of horror movie kind of ways. Today, when we think about where is that active? It's all sorts of places. Anything that is opposed to God, anything that is against his church, that could be governmental. That could be cultural trends. That could be specific laws and people. It could be it could be all sorts of things that the church faces that we go, this is challenging. This is difficult. And if you've ever felt that personally, or maybe for your kids, or in your job, and you go, man, I feel opposed. I feel persecuted. I'm worried about kind of where our city's going, where our country's going. I'm, I'm worried for my kids and what they're learning. I'm worried about these influences. And there's a lot of that that actually exists. There is power. It can intimidate. And what happens is then we fear. We maybe even question. We maybe start to be drawn in and attracted to it. That's one of the way it wins. Uh, We we just kind of maybe doubt ourselves and like, "Ah, I don't want to be on the wrong side of whatever issue. But here's what it says about Jesus. It says that that exists, but he is seated far above all of those things. And that all of those things are subjected under his feet. So it says about Jesus that he raised from the dead, but it doesn't stop there then he is seated at the right hand of god which is the, the or seated at the right hand in the heavens which is the place of rule the place of being king the place of being in charge above far not just above far above not just some every far above every opposition persecution power ruler title anything that we could feel that's opposing Christianity. If you've ever felt that way, any opposition to the church or what God's doing in the world, it says Jesus is far above that ruling and they are all under his feet. They are all subjugated to him, meaning they have no power that isn't on a leash. They have no power that he's not actually using and transforming against their own desires. He rules above every and any other power that exists. I love that it talks about his rule because sometimes when we think about Jesus, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you think about Jesus, you might think about the cross and the resurrection as historical events. They are. But if that's the only thing you think about, then you just kind of think about, okay, Jesus is this historical figure that did something. Important, but he did something at this point in time. But this is saying, yes, but it's further than that. It's not just history, it's activity. He is ongoingly, present tense, currently ruling and reigning and subjugating and being head and governing right now. That all of these powers will come and go all of these powers will be present for at some point and then go away at some point. But Jesus is actively ruling, actively leading, actively governing, not only in this age when this was written, but also in the one to come forever that he is currently doing all of this, which means he can't be stopped. He is active. He is working. He is leading his church. He is working for the good of his church. Here, this assembly, and across the world, in multiple assemblies, he is leading and working for the good and defeating the powers that would be against it. It is not just history, but activity. He is currently seeing and working for his church. All of this power, all of his rule. All of his subjugating is for the church. He's appointed as the head for the church. That's where all of this progression was leading to. Jesus is doing all of this for the church. Jesus, what do you use all your power for? For the church. What do you use your leadership for? For the church. Why are you subjugating all of these influences and powers and demonic realm for the church? You're sitting at God's right hand. What are you going to do next, Jesus? I'm going to do it all for the church. Jesus is king, leader, head, authority, power, subjugator for the church, for the assembly here and in every place across the world that is a good and true church. So is there setbacks that the church experiences? Yes. Is there hypocrisy that the church has had? Yes. Are there sins that the church has done? Yes. But Jesus is the head of the church, leading all things, using all that he has for the church, his body. Nothing can stop that. Jesus says elsewhere, I will build my church. Jesus loves and cares for his assembly, which means this, it's worth giving your life to. And I don't mean that of like, you need to sacrifice your life in some way of actual death. But if Jesus is saying, this is what I'm about, this is what I lead, this and no other thing is my body, this, it's worth us saying, and I want to be in on this then. And if that's what God was leading everything towards, it also means so much of what God's intention is in the world and then for you is only found in being deeply connected to the church. If Jesus says, this is my body, this is what I'm ruling everything for, and I'll I'll cheat and use other language that the Bible says too. This is my bride. This is what I purchased with my blood, the church. And we say, that's nice, Jesus. And I want to kind of have this and this and this. And yeah, the church is important. We would miss out. Obviously, it matters so much to him. And and the reason it matters so much to him isn't just some weird priority, it's because this is what he wants to give to you, to us, to experience much of what he wants to build in our life. So, many of you come here every week, or at least on a regular basis, you're a Christian, you want to build God's vision for your life, but sometimes we don't know, how does the church actually fit into that? What is it? Why does it exist? How does it fit into what God's vision is in my life and what he's building in my life? He wants to give to you a deep connection here. He wants to give you a deep connection to his purpose, to his power, to all that he's doing here. And so you need to ask this question. And if you've got your build notebooks, one of the sections that should be in there is kind of church connection And one of the questions that you should reflect on is, do I have God's heart for his church? How do I view the church? Is it this kind of nice thing or is it this? Is it this vision here? Do I have his heart or do I have a kind of casual heart? about the church? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I understand church is something I kind of should check out and do. Or do you understand what the Bible is saying when it presents the church like this? When it presents the whole kind of plan and work of what Jesus did on the cross, resurrection, all leading up to the church. Is that your heart? Is that your understanding of what it is? And then here's another kind of question to just kind of add to that or think about with that, what would it mean for you? Whether this is your first time here or you've been here for a long time, what would it mean for you to be more deeply connected to his church? What would that look like? What would it mean to trust all of this and say, so I want that then, God. I want the church, if this is what it all is to you and what it means and what it looks like, I want that to become more in my life. What would that look like for you? That answer is going to be very varied for, for everybody. But what would that look like for you? We're going to take communion in just a moment. If you're a Christian, uh, you can grab little communion cups if you saw them on the way, and if you didn't, you can grab those. Communion is something that Christians do to remember what Jesus did for us, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Again, why though? He died. A lot of times we will say he died for my sins. That is true, but it's more than that. He died to create a church. He died for the sins of the church. He died to create a new family, a new community. He defeated Satan, sin, and death and resurrected, received that power, ascended to the right hand of God for the church. So even as you take communion, remember this was the price that he paid to give me the church. This was the price he paid to bring me into his body, to be actually a part of him. And then confess if you haven't had that heart or you haven't viewed his body in that way. And receive his grace, receive his forgiveness, and pray and ask God to help you receive the gift of his church. You want God's vision for your life? You want to build what he has for your life? There's a lot of different components, but a key piece is the church. A key gift he wants to give to you and so much of what he wants to do in your life is the church. And so what's the application of that for you? It could be a lot of things. Some of it's to ask those questions, but it means if that's true, then what does it mean to serve the church and give in the church and join the church and come to church and pray for the church and invite people to church and, 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 and identify yourself as these are my people, so I'm for the church. It might mean even just coming to the community group kickoff that we have on Wednesday to say, okay, what does it look like for me to be more ingrained in the church? It's a, it's a lot of different things. It can also just mean to receive from the church. Sometimes because we are so self-sufficient and independent, we actually don't receive everything that God wants to do for you here. And there's a lot that that could look like and a lot that that could mean. God wants to give to you one of the greatest gifts, the church. So let's pray. If that means confession for you, if that means just thanking God, if that means asking for help, take a moment and pray, receive communion, and then we'll sing a few songs. I'll be back. I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer for any of what we talked about or anything in your life. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to this world, And Jesus, thank you that you love and care for your church, that you lead us, that you are for us, that you're using everything you have for us, Jesus. Thank you. I pray that you would give us your heart for your church. In your name, Jesus.